During the Second World War, a common slogan was used with utmost seriousness, loose lips sink ships. The idea was to alert and warn people here in America to be very careful of what they said and to whom they said it, especially if they knew anything about the armaments being produced at their jobs or if they had any kind of information from relatives engaged in the war effort. The idea was you never know who is listening to what you are saying and your careless words might give aid and comfort to the enemy. This was good advice 80 years ago, and it's still good advice now. We need to watch what we say, because loose lips in our own day are giving aid and comfort to the enemy of our souls. Today, we're going to look together at three examples where the words of people's mouths and the meditations of their hearts got them into trouble. First is the bad example of the people of Israel at Meribah. Second is the bad example of Moshe when he struck the rock. And third is the bad example of Yiftach in our Haftorah reading. And we draw lessons from these for ourselves and our day. After looking at these three bad examples, we will look at three good examples from our own day of people whose meditations of their hearts and whose words of their mouths challenge what we become too used to, our loose lips that just might sink our own ships. My concern about this issue grows out of today's readings and also from my daily experience with people on Facebook, as well as the entire flow of news and opinion in our day, no matter what the source, right, left, or middle, it makes no difference. Our loose lips threaten to sink our ships, but very few people have a clue. Let's begin with a bad example of the people of Israel. Repeatedly in Torah, we see how their loose lips sank their ships, as we did a couple of weeks ago in the story of the ten spies and their loose lips, panicking a nation, uh, and their loose lips resulted in an entire nation wandering 40 years in the desert, never getting to the land of promise. Their loose lips sank their ship, but they didn't learn their lesson because this week it's loose lips all over again. Listen to our people's undisciplined whining. Because the community had no water, they assembled themselves against Moshe and Aharon. The people quarreled with Moshe and said, we wish that we had died when our brothers died before Adonai. Why did you bring Adonai's community into this desert? To die there, we and our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt to bring us to this terrible place without seed, figs, grapevines, pomegranates, or even water to drink? Step back and look at this. They had already gotten themselves in deepest trouble at Kadesh Barnea by complaining there at the border of the land of promise. And now here they go 
again, maligning Moshe, maligning Aharon, and ultimately maligning God himself. Their loose lips sank their ships. This brings us to our second bad example, that of Moshe and Aharon. Moshe and Aharon are distraught over what they have just heard. They throw themselves down in the presence of God and then walk off to their own disaster, the sinking of Moshe's ship. Adonai said to Moshe, take the staff, assemble the community, you and Aharon, your brother, and before their eyes, tell the rock to produce its water. You will bring the water out of the rock and thus enable the community and their livestock to drink. Moshe took the staff from the presence of Adonai as he had ordered him. But after Moshe and Aharon had assembled the community in front of the rock, he said to them, Listen here, you rebels. Are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? Then Moshe raised his hand and hit the rock twice with his staff. Water flowed out in abundance, and the community and their livestock drank. But Adonai said to Moshe and Aharon, because you did not trust in me so as to cause me to be regarded as holy by the people of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land I have given them. This is Merivah spring, disputation spring, where the people of Israel disputed without a nine. Of course, we all see what happened here. The people of Israel were badgering and bad-mouthing Moshe and Aaron, who by now are physically and emotionally exhausted. And when Moshe gets to the rock, instead of simply speaking to the rock, he speaks to the people. And he responds to the people with the kind of bile that they had been flinging at him. Listen here, you rebels. Are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? But of course, it would never be Moshe and Aharon bringing water out of the rock. It would and could only be Hashem himself. And then, to further the disaster, Moshe strikes the rock as if this is some whammy he himself is pulling. What a disaster. He deprives God of glory and clouds the people's perception of who God is and what he alone can do. So both Moshe and Aharon will die on the wrong side of the Jordan River. They never made it to the land of promise. Moshe's loose lips sank their ship. Yiftach in our Haftorah provides our third bad example of loose lips sinking someone's ship. Yiftach is a most impressive leader. He begins his life's journey with a, from a disadvantaged position. He is illegitimate. He gets disinherited and exiled because his brothers hate him. He ends up in a land called Tov, where he becomes something of a gang leader because this guy just exudes leadership charisma. We read the story, we read the story of how his people back in Gilead call for him to please come back 
and to use his leadership smarts and his gang to deliver them from the invading Ammonites. He negotiates with them that if he succeeds, they will install him as their leader. They agree. He then applies his diplomatic skills to dealing with the king of Ammon, and then he defeats them in battle. All of this is good. The man is a giant of a leader, gifted, magnetic, smart. But he also does something really stupid. The newspapers and TV are full of accounts of famous smart people who sunk their own ships through doing something so very stupid. And as you might remember, Yiftach does this by vowing to offer as a sacrifice whatever comes out of his house to greet him after the victorious battle. And what is it that comes out of the house? His daughter. There are other gifted men who also sacrificed their children to their own stupidity. Bernard Madoff comes to mind. Here's a picture of Madoff and two of his sons and his wife. Madoff's oldest son, Mark, hanged himself by a dog leash on the two-year anniversary of his father's arrest. His brother Andrew died of cancer at the age of 48. And the one remaining son, Peter, received a 10-year prison sentence. Bernie Madoff himself died in prison. And his wife now lives in a simple condo in Connecticut at the indulgence of the court. All that she owns goes to the court for liquidation when she dies. Multiple billionaires, multi-billionaires, shipwrecked. Loose lips sank their ships. Our concern today has been with the meditations of people's hearts and the kinds of words that sink our ships. But what, uh, what about uh, us? And what about our future? What kinds of words will sink our ship of state? Will this generation or the next generation die exiled from the American land of promise? I think this is a real danger, that because of our incapacity to stand guard over our loose lips, we will sink our ship. Or to change the metaphor, we will become existentially exiled from any sort of American promised land dream we may have held. My observation is that in our day, to the greatest degree in memory, people are relating terribly to each other in the public square, in the media, and on Facebook. While Jewish tradition reminds us that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts ought to be acceptable in God's sight, this is not so in our day. Loose lips and careless hearts sink ships, even the ship of state. We're living in a day when it's impossible to disagree without denouncing we're living in a day when others are either our friends who agree entirely with us, or they become our enemies, or at least lackeys of our enemies. This is not the way one describes a healthy republic, 
here in the United States, nor a government in Israel where the acrimony is as bad as it is here. And we have become so used to this climate that we either do not notice it or we imagine, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. This shows how deeply deluded we are. As I promised earlier, let's turn to some good examples. Lately, I've been admiring the attitudes and behaviors of faithful Yeshua believers who honored him at great cost in their resistance to European communism. These people were intellectual and spiritual and moral giants. Since we already learned from some bad examples, let's conclude today's contemplations by learning from some good examples. Examples where the words of the mouths and the meditations of our hearts were right and how people dealt with people they differed was exemplary, something for which millions of Americans, right and left, are getting a failing grade. So let's look at some good examples and we'll ask ourselves four questions. This is lawyer Jan Konogorski. Konogorski. This is how he puts it. He was a, a Czech, a Slovak uh, uh, lawyer and uh, became a politician and he's quite a man. He said this, there weren't many people in general who wanted to stand up to communism. You had to take allies where you could. The secret police tried to keep secular liberals and Christians apart and they wanted to keep Czechs and Slovaks divided. They did not succeed because the leaders of the movement, that is, these believing Christians, had become friends with leaders in other circles. That brings us to question one. Do people in our day, across the political and cultural divide, know how to make friends with leaders in other circles? If we cannot do this, we're going to sink the ship of state and die exiled from the American land of promise where there's liberty and justice for all and where diversity of opinion is protected and valued. We are losing that. Another good example follows. In the Slovak region, region František Mikloško reached out to liberals not because he had to, but because he generally wanted to. This is another strongly believing Christian who reached out to people with whom he had differences of values of certain kinds and differences of commitment. Here's what he said. To this day, communicating with the secular liberal world really enriches my views, he says. It is important for me to have my home and to be aware that I know where I stand. I know my values, but I have to stand, stay in contact with the liberal world because otherwise there's a danger of degeneration. Brings us to our second question. Are we so locked into our particular camp that our views have become brittle, cliched, 
and somewhat plastic without us really knowing it. And a third question, do we accept as a given that people with whom we disagree have nothing to teach us? Many people think that. I see that every day. One more example. Consider, he says, that good faith liberals have something to learn from us. And they will only be able to do so if we remain in contact with them. He says, I have spent my whole life in the environment of liberals. There came a moment in their lives when these people wanted to talk about something deeper. They realized they were seeking. They needed to have somebody to talk to. We Christians have to be present in the world and be ready when this happens. Under communism, a well-known liberal intellectual who was known for his atheism quietly asked Mikloshko to take him to church. Interesting. An atheist. He told me, I tried to pray in my home, but it really didn't work out. He wanted to try praying in the church. He told me, I will do whatever you do and see if it works. The Christian activist's point is this. Be kind to others, because you never know when you will need them. And you never know when they will need you. This brings us to our fourth question. Have we built a bridge of trust with people who do not agree with us, nor accept our faith commitments? And if not, what chance is there that what is most precious to us will penetrate their lives? These are important questions. If we do not learn from the examples I've laid before you today, if we do not examine our, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, might our loose lips sink the American ship of state such that we perish within sight of our land of promise without going in. I think that is a real danger in our day. The question is, what are we going to do about it? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Pray with me for a moment. It's interesting to me, Father, that these men who were leaders under communism, who faced prison, faced the prospect of torture, experienced social ostracism, lost, lost employment, lost social position. In some cases, people were separated from their families, their children were taken away from them, all kinds of terrible things. These people knew the value of relationship and knew the importance of the words that we speak. They spoke words of truth. They stood for the truth when it really cost something. But they were also eager, willing, insistent on building bridges of communication with people with whom they did not disagree on so many things because it was important 
because they were all fighting against ultimately a common enemy. Father, I pray that even as in interfaithfulness, we say that we're building bridges where history builds walls. I pray that for all of us, we would learn from these examples and we would be people who build bridges and not walls. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.